kingdom of heaven is likened to a king who made a marriage for his son. And he sent his servants to call them that were invited to the marriage, and they would not come. Words taken from today's holy gospel. Now in the gospel today, we see why souls go to heaven and why souls go to hell. Why souls go up, why souls go down. Now, why do souls go to heaven? Let's start there. Well, because they're willing to be led. They're willing to be led. They respond to the invitation and all that it means to be invited. They respond. They respond once and they keep responding all the way. And then they're led to the marriage feast. History is replete with examples. Abraham, Moses, and all of our favorite saints were willing to be led until they finally came to heaven. But why do souls go to hell? Because they're not willing to be led. It's really that simple. They're not willing to be led. They know if they respond to the invitation, they must submit to the king. They must do things his way. And so they choose to do something else. They choose to go their own way. To do their own thing. Ultimately making themselves a sort of king. And so by choosing themselves or something other than God... They reject God and they reject his marriage feast. That's an infinite good. They reject an infinite good. They choose another good. It's good in itself, but they've rejected an infinite good. And therefore, for that rejection, they must be infinitely punished. That's why hell never ends. It's not so much what they turn to as what they've turned from. St. Teresa of Jesus and Sister Josepha Menendez in the way of divine love, they went down to hell. They saw what it was like. And they both experienced this folding in on themselves. The devils took them and they just folded them on themselves and jammed them into a hole in the wall. Took me a while to figure out, well, why did they have to be folded in on themselves? Because that's what hell is. You chose yourself. And so you'll have to live with yourself for all eternity. Folded in on yourself and jammed into a tight place. Did not our Lord say, bind his hands and his feet and cast him into the exterior darkness? There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And everything that these people worked for is for naught. Jesus said in the gospel, the king sending his armies, he destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. All that they did, all that they worked for, all the grandeur of the world was for naught. It was lost. That's what happens when you're not willing to be led. 
Now, the gospel also indicates that everyone is eventually invited, the good and the bad. The people invited first, those were the Jews. They resisted. Once the slaughter had taken place, the sacrifice was ready. In other words, Christ had died on the cross and rose from the dead, and they didn't want to come to the marriage feast. So he went out in all the world, and everybody else was invited, including us. So the gospel indicates that everyone is invited. Everybody gets a chance. Everybody gets a chance to respond to the invitation. Now this means... That hell is a voluntary. Nobody down there by accident. Everybody down there made a choice to be apart from God. Everybody knows he chose his own way. Chose not to be led and said no to God. Ah, then let us not be among them. Let us always be saying yes to God's grace and keep saying yes. Always being willing to be led. Distrustful of our own judgment. For man is a poor judge in his own case. That's one of the principles of moral theology. Man is a bad judge in his own case. We don't make good decisions in regard to ourselves. And that's why we need a confessor. We need a priest or somebody around us to help us make good decisions. It's a moral principle. Man is a bad judge in his own case. We are very biased toward ourselves. Now, we can ask ourselves the next question. Why do souls choose themselves or something of this world over God? Why do men reject God's most gracious invitation? I think there's a number of ways we could answer that, but here's, I think, one of the easiest ways to answer it. They do not love the church. They do not love the church. St. Paul says in Philippians, for all seek the things that are their own, not the things that are Jesus Christ's. St. Paul. The most loved treasure of our Lord and King, Jesus Christ, is his bride, his queen, the Holy Roman Catholic Church. He came down from heaven for her. He loved her so much he laid down his life for her. He has made her his storehouse of treasures. Everything good is inside. She is all beautiful, infinitely lovable, pure and virginal, spotless, without wrinkle or any defect whatsoever. She's perfectly delightful when you know her. She's always new and ever young. How wrong those people are who say, oh, we got to go back to when the church was young. No, she's young now. When you're in heaven, in the church, the same church we're in now, she's ever young, ever new, ever beautiful. It's the same church. And this is why the gospel today speaks of the kingdom of heaven 
as a marriage. It is the wedding of God with man in Christ, making Christ's mystical body the church, making it his bride. The universe was made for the bride. St. John of the Cross, the universe is the palace for the bride. And this is why the saints often identified themselves most especially as children of the church. St. Teresa of Jesus, I am a daughter of the church. Under her dying breath, I'm a daughter of the church. St. John of the Cross, oh my Jesus, I love thee. I love my mother, the church. I bear in mind that the least act of pure love is of more value to her than all other works combined. St. Therese, a little flower. In the depths of my heart, I wish to be a daughter of the church like our Holy Mother, St. Teresa. This is the overall goal of my life, to be a daughter of the church. Okay, this is why the saints instruct the priest to work at helping people love the church. Listen to St. John Hughes. He says to the priest that he should be assiduous in his efforts to make his people love the church and everything associated with it. And to the priest himself, St. John Hughes says, cultivate an ardent love for the church which God has given you as spouse. To whom you must surrender your whole heart. She's my bride. I am to love her. That's why I'm celibate. Father, you're not married. Yeah, yes, I am. I'm married to an infinitely lovable virgin bride. It's the church. Death doesn't separate us. Death brings us together for all eternity. The priest is married. And this is why the idea of getting rid of celibacy is bad. It'll destroy that spousal love the church has for the priest and the priest for the church. I don't know about you, but I don't want any priest serving me who does not love his bride, the church. Now, blessed Francis Palau, he's a 19th century Spanish Carmelite mystic. He had these visions of the church. She would come to him after some 40 years of great suffering. He started to receive all these visions, ecstasies of the church. He says, my mission is to announce to the people that the Holy Church, which he always identified as Roman, is infinitely beautiful, lovable, and to tell them to love her. So why do people go to hell? Because they don't love the church. That's why. If they love the church, they would want to stay in her, enter her, stay in her, always responding to her love. Now, Let's just briefly look at a few actions of love of the saints for the church. Yesterday was the day on which some of the North American Jesuit martyrs died. St. Isaac Jogues, St. John de Lalande, they died yesterday. But among the other North American martyrs was St. John de Berbeuf. 
He once declared how he would go to the ends of the world to baptize a single savage. The ends of the world. He loved souls for his bride so much. He would go to the ends of the world to baptize a single savage. St. Isaac Jokes was captured by these savages in upper state New York. They were going across a very raging creek. And this woman with her baby slipped in. He jumped in after them to save them. To save the baby, he brought the baby out. A few days later, it died. But not before Isaac Jogues baptized it. They baptized all sorts of people under their dying breath. They loved the church and wanted to bring more souls to her. They knew that we enter the church through baptism as through a door. St. Teresa said that she would give a thousand lives to save a single soul. A thousand lives. The church said to Blessed Francis, by saving others, you will save yourself. And if you don't save others, you will not save yourself. We're here together. We're to help each other get to heaven. As part of being in the church. And maybe that's why some of those people didn't want to go in. Because I have to love other people. I don't want to. I want to love myself. Blessed Francis Palau had an intense vision of the church. Many of them. She appeared to him at night as a veiled woman. A virgin of indescribable beauty. Here's one of his descriptions. She was covered under the veil of mystery and allowed herself to be seen only in the obscurity of night. But it was not so dark that one could not distinguish the infinite perfection which adorned her and which made her infinitely lovable. I found my happiness and blissfulness in her. I was happy. It would have been a little thing for me to spend a thousand lives in her service. In another place, the more one looks, the more one desires to contemplate her. Her beauty is so great that the more one looks, the more glory one sees. She's so wonderful that you'll never tire of looking at her and being with her. That's what he's saying. That's what heaven's like. Another description. The church. Now, the church is speaking to Blessed Francis Palau on a mountaintop in the night. I am a reality. I exist. I live with my own life. I have a head, Jesus Christ, and members who form my body. My body is the only one of this kind with perfect harmony in all its parts and organization. It is agile, well-proportioned, infinitely beautiful, in perfect health. In me, there is no illness. I am always young, without stain or wrinkle, and I do not age with time. I rule and govern in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. I am the mistress of the universe. All creatures serve me. Or what? Or they go to hell. I have a tongue and I speak. I have ears and hear what is said to me. 
I have eyes and I see. I have hands and I work, feet and I walk. I am the one object of love capable of filling the immense emptiness of the human heart. I am the infinitely beautiful and I have in myself all created beauties as a living image of God himself. And apart from me, apart from me, there is no possible happiness for mankind. Wow. In another place, Blessed Francis says, apart from her, there is no salvation. There is no life or happiness. But only restlessness, discontent, and eternal torment. Wow. Blessed Francis goes on. Most people consider hunger, plague, and war to be punishment from God. Because in them they see clearly the hand of divine justice that afflicts the nations. But these adversities, however great and terrible they may be, do not appear as punishments if we look with the pure eyes of faith, illumined with the light of God, and compare them with afflictions of the justice of an offended God. These are spiritual punishments which consist in decreasing the good effects of religion in a town, a province, or a kingdom or in stripping them, or in the withdrawal of God, and abandoning them to disorder of their passions, to error, to heresy, in a word, to Satan's claws. Okay, so we got natural disasters, famine, war, plague, hunger, and we got spiritual disasters. Where priests, truth, and goodness are pulled away from a kingdom, from a city, from a province. And so he says, as there is no greater good in the world than the true faith and the Catholic religion, neither can there be a more cruel, more terrible, more terrifying affliction for any nation than being handed over to the devils and to the wicked sects. S-E-C-T-S, in other words, Freemasons and others like them, so that in punishment for their sins, they root out the holy tree of religion. As a consequence, they burn, they close down, they sell off churches, they kill, they sideline, they mitigate, they suppress our priests and remove all the visible signs of faith, our nativity scenes, our crosses, the Ten Commandments. Temporal punishments, properly speaking, are not real punishments, but rather mercies of the Lord, that with them it would oblige persons to wake up from the lethargy of vices and sins, to return to God and be converted. But spiritual punishments, woe, are the wrath, the indignation, and the fury of God. They are the true outcome of the anger of a God who turns the obstinate sinner away from him. Go to that city and kill those people and burn everything they've done. We heard that in the gospel today. That's what he's talking about. Spiritual wrath. That's much worse than famine 
war, plague. They're the real temporal abandonment, the source and the reason of that eternal abandonment. Where are the demons and those who are condemned to hell? Thank you, blessed Francis Palau, for those profound words. Yes, they ring true and they are shocking. But we have to realize what's going on here. Why are these things happening? Why does God send these spiritual abandonments? Wrath. Because people don't love the church. That's why. So this means we, whether in this life or on this earth or in the next life, cannot truly love each other. Cannot truly be united with each other without the presence of the church. She is what makes unity possible. She is what makes true love possible. She is what makes peace possible. She is what makes happiness possible. Without her, none of these things will happen. This is why there are scandals. And this is why error propagates inside the church. Why? Because priests and prelates do not love their spouse. They don't love her. But rather they use her for their own ends. They are that man in the gospel without the wedding garment. That's who they are. They act like they belong, but in the end, they will be shown that they do not, and they will be handed over to the demons. And thus the church spoke to Blessed Francis Palau about these very men. She said, they're dead to me. They live only for themselves, for the world, and for the devil. All of these are consigned to the power of the demon Asmodeus. He's the one that killed the seven bridegrooms of Sarah in Tobit. Why? Because they tried to wed the church as bride for their own private ends. Something God will not allow. Let us not see these imposters as the church. Let's love the church despite these imposters. They don't have on a wedding garment. Then don't identify the church with these men and you will love her. You will not let them get in the way. Now let us also counter this wrath of God. This most terrible spiritual chastisement by loving the church ourselves. And everything associated with her. Blessed Palau claims that it's with St. Teresa's love for the church that preserves Spain from the Protestant errors of that time. We must strive to do the same. We must be another, as it were, Teresa of Jesus, a daughter or a son of the church. How are we going to do that? Well, we must study. We have to get to know the church. Remember what Palau said. The more we look at her, the more we will love her. We're preparing for heaven to be there forever with her. We'll never get tired of looking at her. Well, why wait until then? Why not start now? In the Apocalypse, chapter 11, it says, Arise, measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that adore within. But the court, which is without the temple, cast out and measure it not. In other words, focus your attention on what is inside the church. Stop looking at all this stuff on the outside. Read and study the lives of the saints, those that are within the church, and you will learn what she is like and how beautiful she is. 
Read and watch only that which will help us live in her and love her more. Prophets like St. John Bosco and others foretold that our times will be saturated with many bad books. If you have those books, there's a garbage can outside. There's a fireplace. You burn them. Throw them out. So we study. Number two, we pray, especially the Holy Rosary. Blessed Francis was given a rosary by the church as a sure pledge of love. She put it around his neck, a gold rosary. It was a way for him to renew his bonds of love and fidelity to her. Third, we must not lie. No lying allowed. St. Paul said, put away lying. Speak ye the truth, every man with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. There's no lying when you're in the church. The apocalypse says of the church in heaven, there shall not enter into heaven anything defiled or that worketh abomination or maketh a lie. In another place, outside the church are the unchaste, everyone that loveth and maketh a lie. That's in the apocalypse. So we can think of it like this. The devil, our Lord said, is the father of lies. So every time we lie, we're like pulling on a rope. And it has a bell on the other end. We don't hear it ringing, but it's ringing. It's ringing down there. And he hears that ring. Hey, somebody wants me to come around and be their father. Every time you lie, you invite the devil in your life. Don't be pulling on that bell on that rope if you do you're inviting the father of lies into your life again here's the man without the wedding garment he was a liar he tried to be something he was not number four we must strive to be chaste and pure according to our state in life the church is virginal she is perfectly pure And we, her members, are bone of her bone and flesh of her flesh, members of her body. Thus, she says to Blessed Francis Palau, the more you look at me, the more you will love me. And the more you love me, the more pure and chaste you will be. Again, here we see why uh, there's all this strange aberrations on true marriage being discussed at the synod. On the family in Rome. People do not love the church. That's why they're talking about this stuff. The possibilities. They see the church as a mere organization. An institution. That can be manipulated. A worldly organization. Not a supernatural organism. Not a virginal bride of Christ. And so they feel that they can force her to accept them and also you'll hear this nonsense haven't you heard this a hundred times we are church we are church wait a minute if we are church we can do what we want that's why they say that we're church I can do what I want because I am church I don't need to look at her old teachings at the fathers of the church the holy father the popes and all the teachings I am church I'll do what I want. No. As bone of her bone and flesh of her flesh, we are members. We are led by her. We're guided by her. She is the church. We submit to her. We're members. 
Thus, blessed Francis Palau saw her always veiled. He specifically said she had a veil on her head. And here's the deepest, most profound reason why women are to wear a veil in church. They show forth the church in their own selves. They're an image of her before us. They show her mystery and her utter subjection to her head, the king of kings. She is bride. He is bridegroom. She is daughter to the father. And she too then is led by God. We follow her lead. Here then is salvation. Not we are church. And proceeding to do what we want, we submit ourselves to her. We enter in. We humble ourselves. No wonder why those guys didn't want to enter the church. They already thought they were the church. And finally, blessed Francis Palau shows how well the whole church herself is mirrored, represented perfectly, completely as can be in this life and in the next, in the blessed Virgin Mary. And this means that she gathers in herself everything it means to be the church at once. Basically, that means this. Deepening our love and devotion to Blessed Mary will keep us ever united to the church, enabling us to be bone of her bone and flesh of her flesh, enabling us to be led even to the heights of heaven and avoid falling into the pit of hell, enabling us to remain chaste and pure and always truthful, enabling us to be at peace with each other even in this life. Only through the church will we love each other properly. All of this is possible for those who love the bride of Christ, the mystical body. May we never lose our love for this spotless virgin bride of our Lord and King, Jesus Christ, this matchless daughter of the Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.